everyone. I'm Britta Wedeling, and this is the new episode of the Bits and Pretzels podcast. For all of you who ask themselves how to turn a college project into a multi-billion dollar unicorn, this episode might have the answer for you. My guest today is Bastian Nominacher. Bastian is the co-founder of Zilonis, a Munich-based data mining company that was valued at an incredible $2.5 billion last year. Started from pretty humble beginnings. Bastian left school after 10 years with his high school diploma to start working in a computer shop and only decided later that he needed to get his A-levels and a university degree. So, as it turns out, it's never too late to aim for the next level. And today, Bastian will tell us how he met his fellow founders, how he identified his business model, and how he believes Celonis succeed in always attracting the top talent in this very tight talent market. I visited Bastian in his office right here in Munich. On the way up, I heard voices from all around the world. It was onboarding day. And I was greeted by a very happy-looking office dog. Hi, Bastian. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for being on the podcast. Hi, thank you for inviting me. I want to kick off this conversation with our famous either-or game, which is our own version of the famous Devil's Wheel, which is a fun fair ride at Oktoberfest. And this is how it works. I give you two words and you have to choose one and explain your choice in one sentence. You have two seconds per word. Bits or pretzels? Pretzel, because I'm the son of a baker. Mining or dining? Mining, because you find so much interesting stuff. Nerd or extrovert? Nerd, because I love technology. Saving or investing? Investing, because there's so much that can be done. Exit or Brexit? Exit, because I think Brexit is stupid. <laughs> chicken sandwich or chicoria? Chicken sandwich, because I like it. <laughs> And you don't like chicoria? I don't know what it is. <laughs> like the Munich chicoria? Chicoria. Chicoria. Ah, ah. So... But I still stay with the chicken sandwich. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Village or mega city? Uh, mega city, because I really love big cities. You can, uh, yeah, there's so much to experience there. Facts or fantasy? Facts. The basis for all decisions. So, I mean, you need fantasy as a founder. Yeah, yeah, I need fantasy as well, but I need to select one. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Just a dog lover. Do you have a dog? No, unfortunately not. Going to have one? Maybe at some point, but at the moment I couldn't take care so much of it. So I rather imagine a dog. Speaking or listening? Speaking. I have a lot to say. <laughs> Suit or lederhosen? Lederhosen. Much more comfortable. Millionaire retreat at 40 or working until 80? Working until 80. So many projects to be done. Bootstrapping or VC? Bootstrapping, because that's what we did at Salonis. Mother Bavaria or Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa, because I think she's just very inspiring. So what exactly does data mining and process mining mean? Yeah, that, that's already like the first important thing. It's not data mining. It's like, uh, uh, it's process mining. And what does it do? Basically, um, When companies execute processes, when you order something at Amazon or um, when uh, you call an Uber, there's a lot of digital traces created in the systems. And 
What we do is basically we provide a powerful software technology which uh, uses AI to really enables companies to see what's going on in this process and use this information to run them in a more efficient, more reliable, more compliant uh, fashion. That's a software, it's a SaaS solution, which is used by companies with a few hundred employees up to the largest companies in the world across all different kind of industries and processes. And that means that you're eating McKinsey's breakfast? We probably uh, allow them to go to the next level. So we work very closely with m many of the largest companies, in the, uh, consulting companies in and the BCG, world. And BCG, BCG is just around the corner. Our yeah. neighbors, and we have our digital consulting platform where thousands of consultants work with it. But yeah, you're right. Let's say the work where a consultant just goes in and asks someone, I think that's uh, uh, you know, gone or in the days of the past. Uh, with uh, the Salonis technology, the consultants can really focus on the high value adding activities, change consulting, transforming the business and the end create more value for the clients. What exactly do companies or clients get out in terms of, I don't know, increased revenue or percentage of like, you know, speeding up processes to so talk about like some, like share some numbers sure. so that our listeners get a picture. Sure. No, happy to share a few. So one uh, use case, which I particularly like is uh, what Lufthansa is doing with Salonis. So um, you have to imagine when a plane comes into the airport and it lands and drives towards the gate, there's a lot of uh, digital footprints being created, especially when it docks with the gate, you have to unload the luggage, you have to bring in the new crew catering. And it's a complex process because every minute counts because you want to be punctual. Like when you go on air travel, probably next to safety, punctuality is the most important thing to make it for a meeting, to the birthday party. And they're using Salonis on this ground handling process to ensure the what they call three-minute punctuality. With Salonis in the last year, only Lufthansa Cityline was able to ensure that eight million passengers arrived more on time. So if a plane is delayed, it's basically your fault? No, that's not our fault. <laughs> When it touches the ground, we make sure that it's turned around as quick as possible. But unfortunately, we cannot uh, make it fly faster. So how many consultants are you going to replace in consultancy moving forward? I think that that's really hard to say because um, if you look at it, we had last year our first custom event, the Zellosphere, where uh, more than a thousand uh, uh, people attended, about 350 uh, consultants. And actually, it's a massive consulting opportunity. The consulting opportunity associated with the process marketing is about 200 billion in the long term because there is, mm. completely right, the low value adding activities like discovering the process, understanding what's going on. This is done much faster by Zellonis. But if you go into that, there's so much follow-on activity. The number one question my customers ask me is if I introduce this, how can I make sure that I afterwards implement the things which I have been seeing? I was last week, for example, with um, the CEO of a large telco company. Vodafone? Can't disclose the name, but um, and Vodafone is already a customer, so it's a potentially new customer. That's what I can reveal. But why they're interested in Celonis um, is They want to optimize the customer onboarding and activation process because let's assume you're like, you go to a website or go in their shop and you sign up for a landline. It's your first experience working with them. So it's absolutely key that they deliver on time, the best potential way. In the worst case, they will spend all the effort to acquire a customer, but then he will churn before starting. And with Celonis, basically he can optimize this entire process. But when he runs then Celonis, he asks, how can he improve the different parts? Certain things will be better IT systems, retraining, change policies, but there will be also change management involved 
And that's in that project, we work with a top-tier consulting firm where Celonis provides the technological basis and the steering framework to continuously improve. And the consulting firm makes the change management. So how many consultants are you going to replace? Uh, I don't have never looked into that number or calculated. When do you think you can replace SAP? I think we can probably never replace SAP because the important thing is like we actually work very closely with the source systems because this is our input data. So source systems like SAP, like Salesforce, like Oracle, they provide the data which we need. And that's also why we partner up so closely with them because you can apply process mining everywhere across 20 different industries, 400 different processes, but only if they're digital. If your company running everything on paper, First get an SAP system and then call us. So so nobody feels threatened by you, guys? Nobody feels threatened by I, I think everyone who is... I don't really believe that. <laughs> I, I think everyone who like uh, executes process with a pure quality or uh, should or, like should feel threatened. That's really what we... Or, like mm -hmm. our enemy is friction. We want to create the super fluid enterprise to so completely friction free. So everything which harms the experience which a customer has. And I think this is really what we're working as. It can be different things. can be bad IT systems, can be bad processes, because nobody, for example, enjoys working, uh, like waiting for a long time. I recently had, for example, an issue with my insurance company getting a new uh, contract in place and it like, took two months and 20 calls. This is what we work against and this kind of processes uh, yeah, should be afraid of Celonis. When you talk to people in Germany, in German companies, it's always that they always think about talent and they always look for talent. And when I think about your company, which is like a, like works a lot with AI, uh, that must be a hard problem to solve. So, so talk about, you know, where you get your talent yeah. from. No, I think it's really important because um, when I look at a, a, a company, especially as a High growth companies, Celonis, there's multiple components. You need to have the business model, the technology. You also have to have the customer value, but the team is absolutely key to make it happen. That's why we place such a strong focus on that. And when, while we speak here, we just run our global onboarding week, onboarding another 110 new Celonauts. And um, we recruit at the highest possible level and we get really a good and high amount of talent And the reason why this works so well is because we focus so strongly. We work closely with all relevant academic chairs. We provide to the employees very exciting um, tasks they can work on. Many technological challenges we are working on has, are solved by no one so far. So you can really work on the technological edge. And then if you have also a really a good uh, company culture, also attractive packages and development possibilities, then you get the right talent. But it doesn't come from itself. It's so what do you do to, to attract talent? Yeah, and do where do you, do you talk at universities? I hear that you also flew to New York, to London, to talk to people. So so share like some of your insights. Yeah, like, for example, like and we do multiple things, but let's touch on a few things. We have our academic alliance. We work with all leading academic institutions in the world in our field. Uh, only in the last year, 230 new universities have joined the Celonis Academic Alliance. We About 100 thesis projects were run with Celonis. 230 new academic courses where people work with Celonis. So this is one way. We have so a, it's important that people in the university sphere talk 
about you yeah, and talk know about, about you. Not only talk about us, but write research papers, use our technology, really work very closely with us. So this is close cooperation with academia. Then a strong focus. We have more than 15 in-house headhunters here in Munich and the same also in New York. So really to handle the long interest, you need to have a very good brand. So be there. And I think the most important thing is really have yeah, excited employees. More How than a third of our employees are referred by our existing employee bases. So Zellernauts, winning new Zellernauts. When it comes to AI, many people think that Germany is like way behind in every terms. Is this your thinking as well? I think we have quite some promising aspects. Um, so I think what we really can capitalize on, we have an extremely good education, strong uh, chairs on uh, math, on also uh, computer science. We can work on, fully agree that there are not so many companies who can apply, uh, who like who produce technology. I think the companies in the field, if you look at companies like BMW, Deutsche Telekom, others, they already embrace it. This is also why we at Celons have been highly successful. In Germany, we have a press of industrial companies that are yeah, running relevant business process, have the relevant data in place and also invest in their technology. So I would say we have still potential to improve, but I'm not, uh, I know people always uh, yeah, complain a lot on the funding and other aspects. I think we have a strong home market. We have a powerful customer base, which we can leverage and together with our talent, we can make it happen. But I mean, compared with the US or China, Germany or like whole Europe is like way Behind. Yeah, I fully agree. They lead the pack there. They obviously they are also larger. If you look, like, why do you think that is? I mean, besides the fact that we have different privacy rules here in Germany or in Europe generally, what, what do you think is like the main issue that we have to struggle with or like we have to overcome? I think there's an even higher focus, especially on like it's probably a multitude of aspects. On the one hand side, there's a higher focus on um, a computer science education. Simply more people working in that field. The data aspects agreed. I think it's not the major aspect, but it's not helping to accelerate it. And um, also customers probably more quickly adopted, especially these big anchor customers like Facebook, Google or others who quickly pull it in. Because if we talk about the US, let's be honest, it's mostly Silicon Valley and a bit of New York. The rest Boston, of the US, there's a little bit of coverage. Boston. Middle of Boston, but it's mostly established vendors. Or uh, if I come from an enterprise space, obviously made and other stuff, there's like also research there. So German companies don't take enough risk? Mm, I wouldn't say they don't take enough risk. It just takes longer until they adopt it and they run it. Um, it's probably also because it's more established firms. And I think this will also change the certain next and or help because we have more and more young companies who can be that such anchor customers. Can be like Zalando, for example, but also Flixbus, Zelonis as well. For example, many of the Munich based startups, we also purchase certain of their project uh, and the project's uh, products or technologies, which also gives them a Away and this is much faster. Like when you work with Celonis, a project can be done in a month, whereas like a Fortune 500 takes like three to six months only for the vendor onboarding. And now we want to know a little more about you. So we are going to loosen our tongue with a mass here that is a pint of beer and ask you some more personal questions on your on a typical Bavarian beer garden bench. So now moving over here, sitting at our beer bank. We both have a beer. That's great. Quite tasty. 
and even my most favorite one, Franciscana, actually also produced by a Celonis <laughs> customer. <laughs> Small advertising break. It's actually not that beer. It's a different beer, but we don't do advertising yet at this point. So now we have to, now we have to cheers. Cheers. For me, it's a little early, but uh, please feel free. Are you drinking beer? I drink beer, but not during the day. <laughs> As somebody who is from Bavaria, uh, you were born in a small city not too far away from Munich. Uh, do you have like a special trick to survive Oktoberfest? Not a particular trick. Uh, I really like the Oktoberfest because for me the, the cool thing is it brings so many people together. Um, especially like, for example, I start typically in the Oktoberfest on the first weekend because we have like the tradition that a lot of like uh, yeah, alumni from my studio, uh, study degree meet together and then we go there. So... Um, I think it's just like timing it the right way. Um, and um, So no drinking water. I don't know. What pe do people do? They drink water. They eat before they drink mass. mass uh, I don't know. Any survival tricks there to share? Mm, I, like, I really like to eat there. There's a lot of tasty stuff. So, But uh, uh, fluctuating through the different tents and like obviously Hindler are very nice, but also the oxen and other stuff. But um, typically it w works very nice. Um Uh, and I have the pleasure to be invited to quite some meetings there. And also the customers love it from around the world as we have a global customer base. Right. So how many masks can you drink and still make good business deals for Celonis? It's, uh, I never counted that. So. Like one, two, three. I, don't know, I can probably have like one or two, but that's it. I'll probably stick with the same number. <laughs> how tired are you eight years into working in a startup? Um, actually, not at all, because the pleasure is really like once you have a hyperscale startup, um, the larger it gets, the more you can really get done. Whereas like initially on you, literally like when you start as three guys in your flat, um, you need to do everything yourself. But now when you have these resources, it's really amazing. Like touching again on our onboarding week, which just takes place. Um, if you have 110 people, which you can set on new projects and everything, this is really what, what is exciting. And I think the difference here is we have a very long-term vision. So we are planning on a 10 to 20 year horizon as we're creating a new category. And you probably also have to have a longer view because it takes longer, especially in the enterprise to establish something. Did you ever dream about working outside of Munich? I mean, you did, I think you did go to the UK for a while, but I don't know, Silicon Valley, New York, China. Sure. No, like uh, actually um, my, my big dream was always to work in New York and also live there. So it was really like um, with Salonis as we also expanded to the yes, it was quite rewarding that we also have, a, have an office there and it's a great pleasure that I can be there like two to three weeks every quarter working with the team and seeing the different places. I think that's, that's a quite a big opportunity, uh, especially also with our global customer base that I have the opportunity to go almost everywhere, meet them, work with them, see how the, the mentalities and the cultures are different. What was the most nasty fight you recently had with your two other co-founders? Oh, we're actually quite harmonical. So we I don't believe that. I don't believe no, that. I, I work in a startup myself. I know there's so many fights, so many discussions. So there's a difference I don't believe that. Between a fight and a discussion. But um, I think uh, like the advantage is really we know ourselves really for a very long time, even before we started Salonis, probably three or four years before we started the company. So we worked together now for almost 12 years. So you know all the other people's flaws? 
no, at this point? I would say you know each other very well, but um, so what we typically do is we are very much like as we all have a yeah, quite uh, mass computer science background, we're strongly driven by the argument. It's important to have the discussions, especially as a lot of stuff is on the stake. But uh, I think what has brought us so far is the complementary skill set. So um, I'm more from a business operations background. Martin has the technology background. And Alex really like that vision driving the, the things forward. And so far this works very well. What's your biggest flaw? What's my biggest flaw? Um, probably my biggest flaw is if I have once a, like a plan in my mind where how I want to do something and completely set to action and then... So you're a pain in the it. ass? If I want to get something done, uh, I can be a pain in the ass. Like you can't build a company if you're really focused. So if I believe something is right and to build something, then uh, we'll take all obstacles and really make it happen. What's your biggest advice for other founders of how to network besides going to Oktoberfest and have a mass with your potential investor or is this something that you guys do, did? Did you network for your company at, at the Oktoberfest? I guess so, right? Actually, to be honest, no. Um, Why not? Because typically it didn't work out that way. So we run a lot of custom events there. There's interest, but our investor basis, it's mostly also not Munich-based uh, meetings. So um, obviously they would be interested. Everyone who wants to go to the Oktoberfest, so probably if we invite them, they show up. But for us, it worked out differently. So um, my biggest advice would be really always ask yourself where you can add a value to the other person because in this will like where how you can build a business relationship and you can drive it together. So for the investor, are you in the right target group? Are you currently fundraising? Can you build it? Or for another founder or entrepreneur, are you in a similar vertical or they face the same challenges? So is there a mutual basis to drive it together? And then I think there needs to be also some certain type of chemistry You need to like the other person. You need to be open to share and also willing to invest in the relationship. How much time do you spend outdoors since the Alps are very close to Munich? How much time do I spend outdoors? Um, do you hike? Do you ski? Actually not. <laughs> so um, what I really enjoyed, but I have stopped doing it because it's a dangerous, it's a, this is an outdoor activity, but it's not a hiking or skiing, is driving my motorbike because it's a really fun activity. It's quite exciting, but driving more like uh, to the warmer parts of Europe, like uh, Italy or Croatia or other parts. But um, I've given it up because it's so dangerous, but maybe at some point it will get another bike or do a few rounds. Sometimes I get one, just rent it and ride a few rounds. So no uh, climbing up mountains in your life? No, I am not a climber. I like to look down on mountains, but I typically take the more easy and convenient way to go up. What was your biggest mistake? I've made a lot of mistakes in my life probably, especially if you like build such a... Um, there's probably multiple things like um, you could see like from a company perspective, but also personally. So I think initially when I was not... Uh, ambitious or driven enough when I look from an education perspective because I didn't uh, get like A-levels initially so I went to school for 10 years and then started to work in a computer shop um, because I really loved working with computers with customers and everything and it was a great experience but after one year like I was a bit bored or not a bit totally like it was a great job but it was by far not so, so I didn't like aim high enough so I had to of course correct go back to school take A-levels and then um 
uh, wow. basically um, go to university, which was the right path, but it was a course correction. And with the company, there's multiple aspects. If I would redo it, I think the biggest thing is I would have immediately bet on the cloud. It was very early in 2011 when we started, but it would be much farther ahead um, because it's so superior seeing how intelligent business cloud is now working. Um, but yeah, at that point of time, the technology was less mature. We also didn't know it less. And this is probably touching back to your earlier question with the US. Probably it would have helped if we are there because they are simply more ahead using technologies. In the end, it probably doesn't matter because I think the important thing is if you make an error, you need to correct it and go the right way. If the path is long enough, like as long as you're on the right vector, it will correct itself if you bring it on that. Did one of your co-founder ever betrayed you? No. I think that's very important. Like if you have a, a, a partnership, like especially in business to driving things forward, it's very, very important that you have the right type of trust. And that's, that's why I'm very happy. And I think a key is received of our successes that we work so closely together so that you have 100% trust, especially when you're so large, you cannot align all that. But also if you're small, it's, I think, a fundamental basis to work together. What price did you pay privately for your success? I wouldn't say uh, I've paid a price for that. Mm, think, everybody's um, paying a price for working all the time, working very hard, traveling a lot. Uh, I mean, come on. It, it depends a bit like what you like. Obviously, like if, if you focus more on a company, you can do other hobbies, things like that. But the important thing is that you do something which you enjoy. Like I have complete flexibility what I do and I do it for fun. So I don't consider that like work, but I build the things to do that. So um, I think it's important to keep the right type of balance to also spend time with the family, with the friends and building aspects. And I think everyone needs to find something what she really likes. I'm not a, a big, as you mentioned before, and skiing guy. I rather like to build stuff. This is what is fun for me. Even when I was not doing Zelonis, for example, I was organizing lawn parties, other stuff, because I enjoyed that. My biggest joy is really to build something and see it, how it's happening. And um, so, so, so what do you do when you're not here at Salonis? Uh, nothing particular spectacular, like uh, riding my motorbike. I met a lot of time with my friends, uh, a, a big group of friends back from my old days when I was like, in, uh, grew up in the eastern part of Munich, but also a lot of study friends, um, just hanging out with them, going for dinner. So you still meet know. like friends from Forstern? Yeah, for sure. So I was there luckily over the holidays, hanging out with them, uh, seeing the new st stuff, uh, soccer and everything. I think it's important to spend time with them and then not talk about process mining, but what is going on in do, the neighborhood. Do you, do you think people get caught up in this bubble of I'm a, I'm a startup guy, I'm a hipster, uh, to a point that they don't really see reality or like how the real world is like? Mm. I could imagine, but on that end, like this is just one very specific part of the world. I think that's the. I mean, it's a bubble. I mean, the whole like Germany startups unicorn discussion. It's it's a big bubble. It doesn't have to say. It it doesn't mean that it has to burst here in Germany because I feel that you know many of the companies here build more sustainable business models. Whereas you see, you know the unicorns uh, of Silicon Valley like going like having a very difficult path right now on Wall Street but I think it's still this hipster Munich Schickeria bubble <laughs> yeah so I think you have to differentiate between several aspects on the one hand side I think certain 
startups might have trouble, but many of them have a very sustainable business model. Especially if you look at a SaaS business model, they inherently, that's why the valuations are also high, but probably not too high or there's still potential because it's just very strong business models. If you win customers, if you keep them all the time, I think this is what I closely advise everyone to look at. If you have a fundamentally good working business model, then the capital market valuation is not important because you can stay in yourself from the cash flow, even expand with that. So there might be some correction for some, but I think we still have a lot of potential to go because technology is such a powerful force and it will continue over the next 20, 30, 40 years to drive it upwards. And that's also the trend which we are riding. Um, I think as a CEO or generally in a startup environment, it's important to acknowledge the community, but also stand there things beyond it with the customers, with the universities, also doing um, with other parts of the society and keeping that in mind because you need to yeah, connect with all of them and the company also needs to serve them. So I have no fear that we get lost into that or see the different aspects might also be more easier because we come from an enterprise environment. So most of our customers are connected into that. They demand every day that we deliver value for them and that really our technology works. So if you go to a production side of some kind of car manufacturer where it's really down to the earth, make the things happen and create value. What do your old friends uh, in the village, in the Bavarian village where you grew up, Fostern, yeah. what do they say about you? What do they say about me? I, I didn't ask them in particular. <laughs> But they say about the Basti, he did this or that, or he kind of changed in a way, or he didn't change, or he's like, has always been the same person. So anything people... People say about you from like from where you grew up. I hope to say that uh, it didn't change much. Obviously, like when you make more experiences, you change over time. You also get older, but our relationship is the same, and it's also not much business driven. They are not in this enterprise. There, obviously, they know what they do. Like as I am also interested what they do in their business life, and it's quite interesting also to understand if someone like builds a house or runs a procurement department or whatever they are doing in their activities, but. Uh, I think this shouldn't have much aspects because the one is more the business life where I drive stuff and the other is more the private life. Are you a good friend? I would hope they would say that. Thanks, that was great. Now we are back in our office chairs and we are ready to talk business again. Um, Bastian, everyone from Bavaria and all of our visitors from around the world uh, probably know the sound of the Karelian at the famous Munich uh, City Hall. When you hear that sound at Marienplatz and think back to the founding hours of Zelonis right here, what comes to mind of those early hours with your co-founders? Ah, yeah. Well, like what I can really remember is like on 15th of June, 2011, we were standing in front of the notary, which is like literally 300 meters away from the, um, like this place we described, like the city hall. I can still remember standing there. We were excited that we did it. Did you celebrate? Uh, quickly, like we went for one drink and then basically went back to the office because we had a lot of stuff to do. There was not so much to celebrate because we just got started. But it was great because we had been working to that, preparing the documents and everything. It was more like, it didn't felt like celebrating. We were glad that we got started, but we were also like anxious. What, what is coming? How do you do it? Especially if you, yeah choose not to go in a safe job, but really get started. But it was a good feeling. It was a nice day, sunny, and uh, it felt like an adventure. 
How do you find the right co-founders for a company? Yeah, that's a very tricky thing. That's um, like I get asked this question quite often, and there's no magic receipt. So I'm very glad that I met Alex and Martin. I think you can only like increase the odds. And there's probably this is the strong thing I think about what, which you have when you're still at university. Also, if you things like bits and pretzel, academic consultant, other things, where you meet like-minded people. Still, it's very tricky because it's such a fundamental aspect. So there's unfortunately no secret uh, received. But I think you can only like increase your odds by meet a lot of like-minded people. Maybe also try to work in certain type of projects with them. And the university environment is probably a good breeding ground for that. How did you guys meet? Um, Alex Martin and myself, we met at Academy Consult. It's a student-run consultancy in Munich. And we did several projects there. So this was a very good foundation because I knew how they work. For several years, we had been working together. So we could directly start on this um, yeah, basis and mutual trust, which we had built over the years. Was there like a moment where you thought, well, this is the perfect business idea. We should get rid of McKinsey. We should get rid of SAP and start this thing. And then we call it Salonis. How did this look like? <laughs> yeah, it was not like uh, completely clear like that, like any innovation process. So when we started out, um, our first customer was the Bavarian Broadcasting Company and uh, they like engaged us to improve their IT service process. So when a printer breaks down or password needs to be resetted. Um, and there we started basically saw that simply the traditional methods to optimize processes don't work as well. And um, then we pulled in from academia the process mining algorithms from Will van der Alst. This was the starting point. But we were far had not, did not scratch how big this can be because we focused only on IT service management, worked there. Over time, we learned basically this is universally applicable. It works for so many different customers and build up on that. But um, yeah. I think you need to, you don't get up in the morning and say, this creates a new category, it's a unicorn or something like that. We were mostly driven by our customers, really customer by customer, we have improved it. And then over time, the vision shaped out because we saw customers from the automotive, from telco, from um, media, from any type of industry were using that. And uh, the company was growing quickly and this gave us the potential. And then And I think that's also very important. We had the vision to really build a long-lasting, successful technology company. This was also the reason why for the fi first five years we didn't take any external funding because we saw that none of the investors which we worked with had this long-term vision. They were focused on a much more short-term outcome for them. Maybe exiting at 50 million would already be very attractive. So it was hard to get funding from outside investors and this is why you didn't... Very early on it was hard. And then like there was a lot of... Uh, A request, but like on the one side, we got very good customer revenue, so it wasn't necessary. On the other hand, we didn't find investors who had the right type of vision and were thinking as large as we did. What's the hardest thing about starting a company in Munich? Mm. I think starting a company in general is hard, or like starting is not so hard, but making it successful. I think it's having coming up probably with a great team, a good idea, and then winning your first customers and really making sure that you get going and you're on the right path. I think this is the most important aspect. Munich itself is not necessarily particularly hard, probably. You have some very good aspects around it, like very good talent bases, more than 100,000 students. So this is why we're still very successful here and happy. Um, you have strong enterprise customer bases. Many of the largest companies in Germany's docs accounts are basically based here. So there's a strong local customer base which you can leverage. 
And um, yeah, what you could probably say, like compared to Berlin, it's not the cheapest city. So you have a higher cost base initially, but I wouldn't say this is the, the key factor. I think the, the strong universities, the customer base and the talent is what makes it really uh, yeah, important. And nowadays there's also a strong, let's say, network around that. So what on the Nematome, but also bits and pretzels are other doing. I think it's a very fertile ground and that's what we're already seeing. When I look, for example, at our Friday evening beer, we have more than like... So you have a Friday beer. evening beer as well? We have every Friday, right. Friday evening beer, six o'clock, and it's uh, really w w working well. Also like other startups, partners, customers attended. And if I just look at the startups visiting this, they're getting a glimpse It's growing massively. And I think that's also something we can be really proud of, having this strong local community. So what's hard about building a company in Munich again? I don't think there is particular something hard about building a company in Munich. I think it's actually quite a good environment, but building a company in general is hard. Do you feel that people start to realize that Munich is the better place for startups than Berlin? I wouldn't say that Munich is better than Berlin. It's basically... You always need to select a city where, like, what, what what type of as an entrepreneur you have always a thousand choices. But you, you, need can, to you can always, you know, your next job could be being a diplomat. <laughs> no, but I, I like when I say something, I want to be precise. So, um, I, I like there is this like discussion about Munich and Berlin, but. I think this is the wrong focus because as an entrepreneur, you need to look global. That's also how we run our company. So don't focus in a particular city and it's not Munich. It's not because we have employees all around the globe. You want to tap in the right type of talent pools. So if I would be an entrepreneur, I would look at aspects like, for example, the talent base. There is certain type of, for example, developer groups, which are much more prominent in Berlin. If you need them, go to Berlin. If you need to have a strong enterprise customer base, go to Munich because simply there is not many enterprise customers in Berlin. So that's as an entrepreneur, the kind of question I would ask myself and then make the decision. And both cities are probably good. And if you have a good business idea, you probably make it in both. That was my view. Would you say no VC is better VC? No, for sure not. I think... Um, Uh, taking external capital, despite like our very successful bootstrapping, can be very valuable to scale. Many business models inherently depend on it if they know there's not enough cash. So um, I think you need to find an investor who really, which you get along very well, who has the right strategic vision who can add value beyond the money. This was also the reason for us in 2016 to take our Series A, where we brought in Excel and 83 North, but also in all the follow-up funding rounds. We used them to get funding, But most importantly, to build a network, to get knowledge how to go to the US, now also to build a very large scalable technology company. So um, I think having an important and right funding partner is the right thing. And if I would probably do it again, it would take earlier funding if I found something now because I'm more experienced, I know more how to pull in and probably also the environment is more mature and to help there. So um, despite our very successful bootstrapping, I wouldn't disencourage people to take external money. So you would actually change your strategy next time around and bring in external money earlier? Yeah, that's the, the Filman question. So if you could do it again. And the, I think for our strategy, it was exactly the right thing because of this, uh, like it, what, what was available in the market at the point of time was the maturity of the technology and the investors. But uh, if you do, you can do it the right way. And if it really hits an accelerator, it can also make sense to very early 
take on funding to scale the company, especially if you have a competitive pressure. Otherwise, it can kill a company. If you're too slow, you get overtaken by competitors with an inferior product and other stuff. You just mentioned that you like New York and that, you know, clients in the US or in China are more torn towards business data-driven and, and AI-driven business models. So could you see a situation where the headquarter of Silonis moves to New York? No, we at Celonis are a global company. That's why we're already like a dual headquartered in Munich and New York. Um, so where we run our two sites, so our executive team is also located in the two parts. So this allows us really to grab the, yeah, the knowledge and the engineering talent, which we have here in our uh, custom base as well, but also the talent which we have in the US market, especially because in enterprise software, the US is the main market. You have 60% or more of the global revenue taking place there. You have great marketing talent there. Um, so you need to cover both aspects. We run the company on a global basis. One thing, for example, every of our employee gets is um, the book called The Culture Map, really making sure that everyone really understands the different nationalities. Because if you are the market leader, if you are covered in more than 30 different countries around the globe, you can't afford seeking locally only Munich or New York or Japan or whatever. You need to cover that because also most of our customers are global. They have locations in almost every country of the world. Cool. Thanks, Bastian, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please subscribe. And of course, please tell your friends about us. And do give us a five-star rating. Write to us at podcast at bitsandpretzels.com to let us know how we are doing. Or if you want to suggest a guest to us. I'm Britta Wedling. See you next week.